Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Hi, and welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program. Produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Amy Middleton. If you've ever been a working artist in this country or been close to one, you'll know the eternal struggle that exists between financial demands and creating an art project that is thoughtful, insightful or experimental and which requires time, mental capacity and effort. For many artists, work can only be produced with the help of funding, grants and artist residences which allow life to continue while art takes form. Today we look at a decision by the Abbott government which details a shift in the existing structure of arts funding in Australia and the impact that that decision could have on the production of art in this country. Since 1975, the Australia Council for the Arts has overseen the distribution of funding to artists and organisations on a project-by-project basis. The Council is overseen by the government, but also independent from it. The judging panels and managers include professional and experienced artists, peers and partners, each with their own insight into the arts industry in this country. Last week, the Minister for the Arts, George Brandis, announced cuts to the Council's funding to the tune of almost $105 million. This amount of money, says Brandis, is to be reinvested into a new funding body called the National Programme for Excellence in the Arts. Although little has been revealed about this new structure, there is growing concern among the community that the shift will remove the independence of arts funding in Australia and place it at the discretion of the Acting Minister. A backlash to this decision is breaking out across the country and it's spearheaded by a 5,000 signature strong petition. This petition has been signed by the likes of Frank Morehouse, Christos Chalkas and Marie Cardi, as well as a long list of publishers, theatres and other organisations. A key figure behind this resistance is Van Vadim, a writer, activist, theatre maker and Guardian columnist. I spoke with Van about what the changes could mean for art and the wider culture in Australia and how the resistance is taking shape. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Women on the Line. Thanks for joining us for Women on the Line. Um, and I have Van Badham on the line. Uh, Van is a Guardian, Guardian columnist, theatre maker, writer and activist. Um, how are you going, Van? I'm great. I'm, I'm really excited about it about what we're going to talk about. Okay, cool. So just to give people some background who uh, perhaps aren't up with this issue, what's going on with arts funding in Australia at the moment? Well, what's going on with arts funding in Australia at the moment is that without any warning and certainly without any pre-election suggestions that this would happen, uh, the government under Tony Abbott, the federal government, have announced in the 2015 budget a major, major structural change to the way that we fund the arts in this company. And it's a change that is causing the entire arts community an enormous amount of concern, and obviously that concern is spreading to the broader community. 
what's happened is that the way that arts funding works in Australia and the reason why we have arts funding is as a democratic check on the right of the cultural community to freedom of expression. The arts are where we communicate our values, what our values are, where we expose um, you know, the dominant tenets of the society in which we live and query that. And the recognition was made numerous decades ago that this role is really central to a well-functioning free and fair democracy. Mm. And therefore, provision should be made of funds um, from the government for uh, independent um, portion from the arts community and cultural leaders to artists of excellence and artists of significance in order to make work. So the idea is that the state, uh, the government, is not directing what kind of artistic work gets made, nor are artists exposed to market forces or the whims of corporations in mm. order to make work, but that, that artistic work can be created and supported with funding and therefore, you know, arts and culture is something that we encourage as part of a free and fair society. And what's the, that? The structure, yeah. What does that well, look like recently? Well, the structure of arts funding obviously is quite complex because we have some arts funding that occurs within local governments and local government areas. We have arts funding that comes out of various government departments and out of universities. This is all sort of small project stuff. The state governments have um, art, artistic funding projects that uh, assign money to artists as well. But the dominant form of artistic funding in this country for independent arts practice comes from the Australia Council. The Australia Council is an independent body that's overseen by government, because obviously they are spending money collected from the taxation base. But the Australia Council currently is comprised of actually seven smaller councils uh, for various different forms of artistic practice. So there's a, a theatre uh, council, there's a literary council, there's a visual arts council, etc. Mm -hmm. And those councils are comprised of um, exceptional artists and artistic leaders, as well as cultural leaders with experience and expertise within the sector. So the Australia Council is comprised of those councils who make decisions based on applications for which companies, which projects and which individuals will be funded to make art. So there are all kinds of different ways that those councils operate to apportion and disperse money. What's happened is that beyond this structure, which is about independence, which is about freedom, is that the Federal Minister for the Arts, George Brandis, who's also the Attorney General, mm. has decided to politicise arts funding, and that is to take an enormous amount of money away from independent control through the Australia Council and, in fact, put it into the coffers of his own ministry and his own department. Mm. Meaning that you are seeing a transfer of, wait for it, $100 million of arts funding away from uh, independent discussions and independent decisions to the political decisions of his own ministry, which is obviously not comprised of cultural leaders or exceptional artists, but um, political staff and political appointments. And that has really dangerous precedent in terms of who is allowed to say what and to whom, and it seriously compromises the independence and the integrity of the arts. And what it also does is exposes the entire arts community to an uncertainty that comes from um, uh, ministerial discretion that effectively George Brandis and his staff can decide who gets funded and who doesn't to their own whim and to their own aesthetic.
That's right. It's politicising something that should be completely separate. Well, yeah, and nobody's arguing that arms aren't political, but one of the reasons why we have independence within um, arts funding is so the arts can be political, so that the arts community can express insight into uh, social and cultural development, Mm. uh, you know, the political character of our society, free from government interference, because government interference in the expression of political sentiment is known as censorship. And this is one of the reasons why we have an you know, independent structure of funding or have had. And the other thing that it opens up as well is not only is there a, a yawning like lack of expertise from you know, the government department, the minister staff and the minister himself, um, George Brandis is not a, an artistic leader. Like this is, you know, Wesley Enoch, who's the artistic director of the Queensland Theatre Company, made a very valid point. It was like... Can George Brandis actually name the first professional Aboriginal playwright in Australia? Can George Brandis give a production history of, you know, Aboriginal plays and Aboriginal theatre making? Does George Brandis have the insight into what has already been done, what's seen to be been doing in the sector, who is making what art? Where is the, the context or the understanding or the expertise to understand, you know, the, the context in which we are making performance? Mm. And... It raises questions about like ministerial accountability as well. You don't just hand $100 million to a minister and say, oh, just pick what you like. There are checks and balances that need to be enforced and which are through this like relentless process of interrogation and peer review that goes through the Australia Council. And that kind of check and balance over taxpayers' money is actually going to vanish with these changes. It all sounds quite... It sounds like it's an unprecedented shift. Has there been a decision like this in the recent past? Look, this is the way that arts funding used to be apportioned back in the dark days of of Robert Menzies and that extremely quiet cultural period in Australia where effectively to be an artist you had to be independently wealthy and fund your own art because Mm. what was decided to be art and what was decided to be funded was made, you know, within discretionary circumstances. We've had a lot of artistic freedom in this country, which has done us the world of good. We have had our great artistic flowering over the decades where artistic independence has been seen as a sacrosanct social virtue. And, of course, it is not a perfect process and nobody is arguing that it is. There are some brilliant artists who have, you know, who have struggled within various confines at different times in order to get their word out or to be recognised. That's part and parcel of, of what it means to make art and to pursue art as a form of social expression. But certainly the structure we have has been responsible for the development of so many people on so many uh, intersectional levels at the, at the early stages of their careers, at mid-stages of careers. It's facilitated um, training the people who make decisions around artists, trained people to become producers in companies who've you know, uh, been trained in artistic leadership programs, who've been trained to recognise and support and provide crucial support to artists. You know, it has brought companies together and given companies and venues a, a means of financial continuity that's allowed companies the independence to bring artists to, like, in for experiential learning through the, the mechanisms of a professional art company and professional artistic practice. I myself, as an artist, have been supported in different capacities through the Australia Council 
like over the course of my career at different times. My first break was actually in community arts. I was a young artist who was based in a regional area. I, I came of age in Wollongong and I received some money. It was like my first big professional job to create a piece of theatre about being a young person living in Wollongong. That's the kind of thing you can do with targeted funding that's, you know, based around independent social outcomes. Mm. And that kind of project, you know, gave me an enormous amount of confidence, professional confidence, that I was good enough to earn a living by making art and therefore, you know, have the confidence to pursue other projects. I also, you know, at this stage of my career, until recently, I was working as one of the associate artists at the Malthouse Theatre in Melbourne, you know, which is one of the great experimental theatre houses of the world that through you know, various levels of government funding has been able to produce incredible generations of innovative artists who've made work that's travelled all over the world. And while a company like Malthouse has been told that it is safe from the, the funding cuts that are going through and also the changes in funding, the $100 million that's going to you know, George Brandis Ministries, the issue is that the small to medium sector, those smaller companies and those regional companies, smaller projects and regional galleries, of which there are more than 400, all of their funding relationships um, are up for renegotiation at the moment. So more than 400 currently existing small to medium artistic enterprises are directly threatened by the changes in the funding arrangements. And that means, that presumably, that there are going to be some companies that may fall out of favour with the government for whatever reason and the minister himself will be able to decide whether they continue to, to function as funded companies or whether everybody employed within them will lose their jobs. Mm. And for regional companies that are necessary and desirable cultural infrastructure within regional areas and isolated areas and provide not only cultural opportunities but educational opportunities to young people you know, and a cultural hub for, for dispersed and, and uh, non-metropolitan communities, that's a real threat to the quality of life of people who live in regional Australia. Mm. And, and this is one of the reasons why we're so up in arms. We know our sector really well. We know what the benefits are of, the, of decades spent improving the models, improving the way that funding is allocated, developing artists, training people in artistic leadership roles. And all of this work has been done, it's been threatened, so George Brandis and his ministry can decide who they think is an artist and who isn't. And Brandis has named um, the newly created fund the National Programme for Excellence in the Arts. Do we have any idea what that looks like as yet? Has he, um, has no, he defined those terms? No, we don't actually know what that looks like. And what is excellence? And in terms of excellence, who is George Brandis to determine what is excellence and isn't? You know, since the Liberals have been elected, we've seen a couple of really interesting artistic decisions around funding that have been made by this government. For one, despite the fact that in the 2014 budget, we were all being told that, we're, you know, there was a massive debt crisis. Oh, debt crisis. Spending must be cut. We must cut everything. The Liberals still found millions of dollars to give to a ballet school, um, which happened to have, you know, somebody very closely aligned to the Liberal Party on the board of it. We also saw the Liberal Party, well, the Liberal government investing in a tiny classical musical label called Melba that has an extremely like small remit and very few people had heard of, but discretionary funds were made available for, for that very small, small and niche specialist operation mm. to continue. So obviously, you know, these are... Um, these are funding projects that are, ba that are based around a certain kind of taste. 
well, what does what does that mean? Like, if I'm an artist who's producing art that that the minister does not like or does not understand or does not appreciate, if all if I fall foul of his taste, does that mean that I'm excluded from the notion of what excellence is? And I repeat, you know, that argument of Wesley Enoch, like, what kind of cultural understanding, leadership, and context, what kind of expertise and experience? does the ministry actually bring to this discussion or are we going to see an amount of money being made available to a minister who's facing, who will be facing an election to pork barrel various projects that he thinks will curry him electoral favour and that is a really desperate concern. And what if, uh, what if the minister heeds um, the concerns of the arts community and appoints a board of um, arts uh, people that you would deem um, experts in the arts. Do you think that that would have um, a more positive effect? But that's why we have the Australia Council. Mm. Like I said before, we have seven councils within the Australian Council makeup. you know, all of whom you know, are, are go through like a rigorous process in order to, to take up those roles. Like, that is what exists in the current infrastructure. You know, for a government that is always talking about cutting red tape and getting rid of waste... Why would you set up a parallel structure of governance? So we are now employing twice the number of bureaucrats to make assessment decisions. Are the ministry able to guarantee that the same process of interrogation and rigour will apply to their consideration of artistic projects as the Australia Council? Why are we doubling up mm. on levels of bureaucracy when we're looking comparatively like to other areas of, of spending for the government, like quite a comparatively small area. I mean, this is the thing about the arts. The arts don't get a lot of money in this country compared to artistic funding levels in the rest of the OECD. Our levels of artistic funding are comparatively low, but the Australia Council have learnt how to do a hell of a lot with comparatively little. If we're um, putting assessment, if we're putting like a review, if we're putting you know uh, decisions around what gets funded and what isn't, to essentially a, a, another layer of bureaucracy, there is going to be waste. Why is that decision being made, and why is independence being denied from funding for ministerial discretion? They're really upsetting, like political decisions. And how do you think, just before we uh, move to the resistance, which um, I know is sort of in full swing this week, um, what are the main effects you see filtering down from this shift in terms of the cultural fabric of Australia as we know it? Well, I mean, I, I really worry, and I do have this genuine worry, knowing what I know of Australian cultural history, that in less enlightened times, Radical artists and radical thinkers who had enormous contributions to make Australia's cultural life left this country mm. and built careers in particularly Britain, but also in the United States because they did not believe that they could be supported to do their work here. It's a common because story, in- isn't it? Can you give us some yeah, examples? Well, I mean, I look at somebody like Clive James. Mm. I look at the time Richard Neville. I look at Robert Hughes. I look at all those brilliant Australian minds, like people like Jermaine Greer, who, you know, obviously is public intellectual and not a practising artist. Mm. But certainly, like, Brett Whiteley left Australia for England. There were better opportunities overseas for for generations of Australian arts practitioners. Mm. I don't want there to be another cultural diaspora. You know, Australian artists, we have the infrastructure to make excellent export quality artistic products here, um, artistic projects that 
speak to our people about our heritage, about our conflicts, about our contradictions. That's a very necessary cultural role that you need artists of genuine excellence to play. Mm. And if your choice is to stay home and talk about your community or to make it, you know, with nothing or to travel overseas to pursue your practice and pursue your artistic development and join somebody else's society, we've been living in the legacy of those, you know, lost generations of thinkers and, and makers and artists. Over the past few decades, we've got that back you know, where people choose to remain in this country in order to do work. And we've become a stronger, more diverse, more inclusive, more representative, more engaged and more creative culture as a result of that. And, you know, the idea of people falling foul of government decisions that are based around, you know, the government's own taste is really concerning. But it's also that whole notion of how much money does get wasted by indulging, you know, a, a minister's desire to make all the decisions himself. And how has the backlash been? Um, you've probably watched it unfold closer than most. Has has there been a lot of artistic rallying around this decision? Yes, the artistic backlash has been enormous. Um, in the first place, a very large group of prominent Australian artists and cultural leaders have signed a letter condemning the changes. And people included on that letter include people like William Yang, uh, Christos Cholkis, uh, the director Neil Armfield, the playwright Joanna Murray-Smith, um, do you see Julian Burnside, like an extremely powerful collective mm. of Australian artists have signed a long letter, absolutely condemning these changes. And a lot of people have identified the parts of their career that have been supported by the Australian Council and supported by, you know, their remit to develop artists and to support companies. Um, in addition, a petition was launched on a Friday night that was backed by numerous organisations, including uh, the journal Overland, um, including the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, which I am a very proud member, which covers um, actors, journalists and other workers in the entertainment industry. Um, it was also backed by representatives um, of the Melbourne City of Literature and it's been supported by dancers, painters, writers, theatre makers, actors, sculptors, filmmakers, because there have also been significant cuts Screen Australia, um, mm. which obviously has a remit of developing Australian cinema. And that, even though it was launched on a Friday night, that petition already has 5,000 signatures. Wow. So 5,000 people have committed to a petition. Um, also in play is the organisation of a dance-off where artists are rallying in every capital city of the country in order to dance against the government, which is an extraordinary thing to coordinate. But such has been the anger and the fear of the sector of serious disruption to what is good um, resourcing and good artistic practice and also the principle of artistic freedom. Um, there are plans for town hall meetings. Um, there are plans for an extension of the campaign rolling actions across the country. I mean, artists are furious. Artists in Australia are usually very highly trained and very poorly paid. Like, we, are, when we receive funding, you know, it's fantastic and gives us great opportunities in order to do our work and extend our practice. The funding is often delivered on a project-by-project, job-to-job basis, where we still work in and out of other professions in order to, to support ourselves. You know, because independent arts funding is taxpayers' money, you know, like, we're not wasteful with the resources that we are offered. And we're a community that understands, you know, what it's like to pursue a vocation with enormous amounts 
of economic uncertainty and cultural variation. And, you know, what the reality is of artistic practice is that, you know, even amongst the best artists, you have moments of excellence and you have moments of experimentation that are necessary in order to form your next project. So we're a community that doesn't ask for very much. Mm. We ask for our artistic freedom. We ask for a space to experiment and try out new ideas. And we ask for a cultural respect of what we do, which is to inform, to educate, to engage, to entertain, to support communities, to tell stories, to share perspectives, and maybe, just maybe, make the world a slightly more fun and colourful place to live. And yet we're a community that's being exposed to some really, you know, like dark principles of the government around seizure of funding, around appointing themselves arbiters of taste. And and obviously artists are really angry and are mobilising in vast numbers in order to oppose the changes and to register, you know, what we do and the importance of our independence and, and the need for our sector to have support and for that support to be independent and not, you know, no wastage, like, you know, no double bureaucracies, but to be an efficient, effective way of supporting laudable cultural goals. And do you think the decision does suggest that there is a lack of respect for artists and their roles in society? I think that the decision actually affirms the power of artists because when government ministers want to seize control of a cultural apparatus, it means that they're threatened by it. And I think that it's, it's quite concerning to consider that a democratically elected government wants more control over um, the cultural means of communication as opposed to less control. Well, that's a positive note to end on. Um, and I wish you all the best with your rallying of the artists and I'm sure it's going to, I'm sure there's going to be as much help um, from around Australia as possible. And where can people go if they want to find out some more about this campaign? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, to follow the campaign, the hashtag we're using in our communications is hashtag free the arts and you can find us on the internet we're called Australians for Artistic Freedom and are there any um, specific pointers or things that people can do um, to help this cause write letters sign petitions write letters sign petitions talk out speak out support your local cultural institution encourage your friends to understand how important artistic independence is Encourage your friends to understand that a double bureaucracy is a bad bureaucracy. And also encourage everybody you know to, to validate and to understand that independence is an absolute virtue within a democracy and anything that undermines it is a, a serious, serious threat. Mm. Thanks so much for being on Women on the Line, Van Batham. Yeah, great. All right, thank you so much. All right, cheers. Women's on the Line. <laughs> oh, that was Women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> Thank you so much to Van Badham for lending her time and chatting to us about that issue. And if you'd like to find out more, that hashtag once again is free the arts. You can also go to australianunions.org.au um, to sign that petition. It's open for public signatures. You just need to search Australians for artistic freedom. You can also find out more through Facebook, particularly about events in your local area. Thanks for joining me. I'm Amy Middleton, and this has been Women on the Line. Women on the Line is Community Radio's national women's current affairs program. 
It's produced and presented by a range of women at 3CR Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. Women on the Line can be downloaded from our website, womenontheline.org.au, or download the podcast at 3cr.org.au slash podcast. I'm Amy Middleton. Tune in next time for another edition of Women on the Line. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.